Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Oh, hi, hello, welcome nerds to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, where I am your host, Liv, reading you the final part of my new favorite masterpiece, the life-changing, utterly thrilling, and incredible novel by Lucian, full of intentional bullshit, the silliest, most over-the-top stuff that he could come up with. Because remember, that's what's intended with this. He's satirizing, straight up making fun of the people of his time and those that came before him. People like whoever came up with Homer's Odyssey. Any who told stories of myths and histories featuring unlikely or straight up unbelievable occurrences. That is who Lucian is taking aim at in this work of utter art that is the true history. And I couldn't love it more. I imagine it's only about to get better. Ugh. Because where we last left off our straight reading of Lucian, he and his men had landed on the island of the blessed. Elysium. Literally where dead people are. And what? These guys are living? Lots happening here, but we've already had brief mentions of some mythological and historical characters that they've met with or, or witnessed in Elysium. And today's episode, we're only gonna get more... Today, to say that I am excited to read all of this for you is a true understatement. I am having so much fun. (laughs) 
This is Lucian's True History, translated by Francis Hicks, Part 3. They keep their feast without the city in a field called Elysium, which is a most pleasant meadow environed with woods of all sorts, so thick that they serve for a shade to all that are invited, who sit upon beds of flowers and are waited upon and have everything brought unto them by the winds, unless it be to have the wine filled, and that there is no need of, for about the banqueting place are mighty great trees growing of clear and pure glass, and the fruits of those trees are drinking cups and any other kind of vessel of what fashion or greatness you will, and every man that comes to the feast gathers one or two of those cups and sends them before him, which will be full of wine presently, and then they drink. Instead of garlands, the nightingales and other musical birds gather flowers with their beaks out of the meadows adjoining and fly over their heads with chirping notes and scatter them among them. They are anointed with sweet ointment in this manner, sundry clouds draw that unguent out of the fountains and the rivers, which, settling over the heads of them that are at the banquet, the least blast of winds makes a small rain fall upon them like unto a dew. After supper they spend the time in music and singing their ditties that are in most request they take out of Homer's verses— who is there present himself and feasting among them, sitting next above Odysseus. Their choirs consist of boys and virgins, which are directed and assisted by Eunomus the Locrian, and Arian the Lesbian, and Anacreon and Stesichorus, who has a place there ever since his reconcilement with Helena. As soon as these have done, there enter a second choir of swans, swallows, and nightingales, and when they have ended, the whole woods ring like wind instruments by the stirring of the air. But that which makes most for their mirth are two wells adjoining to the banqueting place, the one of laughter, the other of pleasure, for these every man drinks to begin the feast withal which makes them spend the whole time in mirth and laughter. I will also relate unto you what famous men I saw in that association. There were all the demigods, and all that fought against Troy, excepting Ajax the Locrian. He only, they told me, was tormented in the region of the unrighteous. Of barbarians there was the elder and the younger Cyrus, and an Arcarsus the Scythian, Zemolxus the Thracian, and Numa the Italian. There was also Lycurgus the Lacedaemonian, and Phocian, and Tellus the Athenians, and all the wise men, unless it were Periander. I also saw Socrates, the son of Sophroniscus, prattling with Nestor and Palamedes, and close by him stood Hyacinthus, the Lacedaemonian, and the gallant Narcissus, and Hylas, and other beautiful and lovely youths. And for aught I could gather by him, he was far in love with Hyacinthus, for he was discoursed with him than all the rest, for which cause, they said, Radamanthus was offended at him, and often threatened to thrust him out of the island if he continued to play the fool in that fashion, and not give over his idle manner of jesting when he was at their banquet. Only Plato was not present, for they said he dwelled in a city framed by himself, observing the same rule of government and laws as he had prescribed for them to live under. Aristippus and Epicurus are prime men among them, because they are the most jovial good fellows and the best companions. Diogenes, the Sinopian, was so far altered from the man he was before that he married with Laius the harlot, and was many times so drunk that he would rise and dance about the room as a man out of his senses. Aesop, the Phrygian, served them for a jester. There was not one Stoic in company, but were still busied in ascending the height of virtue's hill. And of Chrysippus, we heard that it was not lawful for him by any means to touch upon the island until he has the fourth time purged himself with Helleborus. 
the academics, they say, were willing enough to come, but that they yet all doubtful and in suspense and cannot comprehend how there should be such an island. But indeed, I think they were fearful to come to be judged by Radamanthus, because themselves have abolished all kind of judgment. Yet many of them, they say, had a desire, and would follow after those that were coming hither, but were so slothful as to give it over because they were not comprehensive, and therefore turned back in the midst of their way. These were all the men of note that I saw there, and amongst them all Achilles was held to be the best man, and next to him Theseus. For their manner of venery and copulation thus it is, they couple openly in the eyes of all men, both with females and male kind, and no man holds it for any dishonesty. Only Socrates would swear deeply that he accompanied young men in a cleanly fashion, and therefore every man condemned him for a perjured fellow. And Hyacinthus and Narcissus both confessed otherwise for all his denial. The women there were all in common, and no man takes exception at it, in which respect they are absolutely the best Platonists in the world, and so do the boys yield themselves to any man's pleasure without contradiction. After I had spent two or three days in this manner, I went to talk with Homer, the poet, our leisure serving us both well, and to know of him what countryman he was, a question with us hard to be resolved, and he said he could not certainly tell himself, because some said he was of Chios, some of Smyrna, and many to be of Colophon, but he said indeed he was a Babylonian, and among his own countrymen not called Homer, but Tigranes, and afterwards living as a hostage among the Grecians, he had therefore that name put upon him. Then I questioned him about those verses in his books that are disallowed as not of his making, whether they were written by him or not, and he told me they were all his own, much condemning Xenodotus and Aristarchus the Grammarians for their weakness in judgment. When he had satisfied me in this, I asked him again why he began the first verse of his poem with anger, and he told me it fell out so by chance, not upon any premeditation. I also desired to know of him whether he wrote his Odysseys before his Iliads, as many men do hold, but he said it was not so. As for his blindness, which is charged upon him, I soon found it was otherwise, and perceived it so plainly that I needed not to question him about it. Thus was I used to do many days when I found him idle, and would go to him and ask him many questions, which he would give me answer to very freely, especially when we talked of a trial he had in the court of justice, wherein he got the better. For Thersides had preferred a bill of complaint against him for abusing him and scoffing at him in his poem, in which action Homer was acquitted, having Odysseus for his advocate. About the same time came to us Pythagoras, the Samian, who had changed his shape now seven times, and lived in as many lives, and accomplished the periods of his soul. The right half of his body was wholly of gold, and they all agreed that he should have placed amongst them, but were doubtful what to call him, Pythagoras or Euphorbus, and Pedocles also came to this place, scorched quite over as if his body had been broiled upon the embers, but could not be admitted for all his great entreaty. The time passed thus along, the day of prizes for masteries of activities now approached, which they call Thanatusia. The settlers of them forth were Achilles the fifth time and Theseus the seventh time. To relate the whole circumstance would require a long discourse, but the principal points I will deliver. At wrestling Carus, one of the lineage of Hercules, had the best, and won the garland of from Odysseus. The fight with fists was equal between Arius, the Egyptian, who was buried at Corinth, and Epius, that combated for it. There was no prize appointed for the Pancratian fight, neither do I remember who got the best in running. But for poetry, though Homer without question were too good for them all, yet the best was given to Hesiod. The prizes were all alike, garlands plotted of peacock's feathers. 
As soon as the games were ended, news came to us that the damned crew in the habitation of the wicked had broken their bounds, escaped the gowlers, and were coming to assail the island. Led by Phalaris the Agrigentine, Bucyrus the Egyptian, Diomedes the Thracian, Sciron, Pituacamptes, and others, which Radamanthus hearing, he ranged the heroes in battle array upon the seashore under the leading of Theseus and Achilles and Ajax Telamonius, who had now recovered his senses, where they joined fight. But the heroes had the day, Achilles carrying himself very nobly. Socrates also, who was placed in the right wing, was noted for a brave soldier, much better than he was in his lifetime. In the battle at Delium, for when the enemy charged him, he neither fled nor changed countenance, wherefore afterwards, in reward of his valor, he had a prize set out for him on purpose, which was a beautiful and spacious garden planted in the suburbs of the city whereunto he invited many and disputed with them there, giving it the name of Necroacademia. Then we took the vanquished prisoners and bound them and sent them back to be punished with greater torments. This fight was also penned by Homer, who, at my departure, gave me the book to show my friends, which I afterwards lost, and many else things beside. But the first verse of the poem I remember was this. Tell me now, muse, how the dead heroes fought. When they overcome in fight, they have accustomed to make a feast with sodden beans, wherewith they banquet together for joy over their victory. Only Pythagoras had no part with them, but sat aloof off, and lost his dinner because he could not away with beans. Six months were now passed over, and the seventh halfway onwards, when a new business was begot amongst us. For Kinaras, the son of Scintharis, a proper tall young man, had long been in love with Helena, and it might plainly be perceived that she as fondly doted upon him. For they would still be winking and drinking to one another whilst they were a-feasting, and rise alone together and wander up and down in the wood. This humor increasing and knowing not what course to take, Kinaras's device was to steal away Helena, whom he found as pliable to run away with him, to some of the islands adjoining, either to Fello or Tyresa, having before combined with three of the boldest fellows in my company to join with them in their conspiracy, but never acquainted his father with it, knowing that he would surely punish him for it. Being resolved unto this, they watched their time to put it in practice, for when night came, and I absent, for I was fallen asleep at the feast, they gave a slip to all the rest, and went away with Helena to shipboard as fast as they could. Menelaus waking about midnight, and finding his bed empty and his wife gone, made an outcry, and calling upon his brother, went to the court of Radamanthus. As soon as the day appeared, the scouts told them that they had spotted a ship, which by that time was got far off into the sea. Then Radamanthus set out a vessel made of one whole piece of timber of asphodelus wood, manned with fifty of the heroes to pursue after them, which were so willing on their way that by noon they had overtaken them newly entered into the milky ocean, not far from Tyresa. So near were they got to make an escape. Then we took their ship and hauled it after us with a chain of roses and brought it back again. Rhadamanthus first examined Kinaras and his companions whether they had any other partners in this plot, and they, confessing none, were adjudged to be tied fast by the privy members and sent into the place of the wicked, there to be tormented, after they had been scourged with rods made of mallows. Helen, all blubbered with tears, was so ashamed of herself that she would not show her face. They also decreed to send us packing out of the country, our prefixed time being come, and that we should stay there no longer than the next morrow. Wherewith I was much aggrieved and wept bitterly to leave so good a place and turn wanderer again. I knew not whither. 
but they comforted me much in telling me that before my years were past I should be with them again, and showed me a chair and a bed prepared for me against the time to come near unto the persons of the best quality. Then went I to Radamanthus, humbly beseeching him to tell me my future fortunes, and to direct me in my course. And he told me that after many travels and dangers I should at last recover my country, but would not tell me the certain time of my return. And, showing me the islands adjoining, which were five in number and a sixth a little further off, he said, Those nearest are the islands of the ungodly, which you see burning all in a light fire. But the other sixth is the island of dreams, and beyond that is the island of Calypso, which you cannot see from here. When you are past these, you shall come into the great continent, over against your own country, where you shall suffer many afflictions, and pass through many nations, and meet with men of inhuman conditions, and at length attain to the other continent. When he had told me this, he plucked a root of mallows out of the ground, and reached it to me, commanding me in my greatest perils to make my prayers to that, advising me further neither to rake in the fire with my knife, nor to feed upon lupins, nor to come near a boy when he is past eighteen years of age. If I were mindful of this, the hopes would be great that I should come to the island again. Then we prepared for our passage, and feasted with them at the usual hour, and the next morrow I went to Homer, entreating him to do so much as make an epigram of two verses for me, which he did, and I erected a pillar of barrel stone near unto the haven, and engraved them upon it. The epigram was this, Lucian the gods beloved did once attain, to see all this, and then go home again. After that day's tarrying we put to sea, brought onward on our way by the heroes, where Odysseus, closely coming to me that Penelope might not see him, conveyed a letter into my hand to deliver to Calypso in the island of Ogygia. Radamanthus also sent Nauplius, the ferryman, along with us, that if it were our fortune to put into those islands, no man should lay hands upon us because we were bent upon with other employments. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. No sooner had we passed beyond the smell of that sweet odor, but we felt a horrible, filthy stink, like pitch and brimstone burning, carrying an intolerable scent as if men were broiling upon burning coals. The air was dark and muddy, from which distilled a pitchy kind of dew. We heard also the lash of the whips and the roaring of the tormented, yet went we not to visit all the islands, but that wherein we landed was of this form. It was wholly compassed about with steep, sharp, and craggy rocks, without either wood or water, yet we made a shift to scramble up among the cliffs, and so went forwards in a way quite overgrown with briars and thorns through a most villainous ghastly country, and coming at last to the prison and place of torment, we wondered to see the nature and quality of the soil, which brought forth no other flowers but swords and daggers, and round about it ran certain rivers, the first of dirt, the second of blood, and the innermost of burning fire, which were very broad and unpassable, floating like water, and working like the waves of the sea, full of sundry fishes, some as big as firebrands, others of a less size, like coals of fire, and these they called lichneskies. There was but one narrow entrance to it, and Timon of Athens appointed to keep the door, yet we got in by the help of Nopolius, and saw them that were tormented, both kings and private persons, very many of which there were some that I knew, for there I saw Kinneras tied by private members and hanging up in the smoke. But the greatest torments of all are inflicted upon them that told any lies in their lifetime and wrote untruly, as Catesius the Canidian, Herodotus, and many other, which I beholding, was put in great hopes that I should never have anything to do there, for I do not know that I ever spoke any untruth in my life. We therefore returned speedily to our ship, for we could endure the sight no longer, and taking our leaves of Nopolius, sent him back again. A little after appeared the island of dreams near unto us, an obscure country and unperspicuous to the eye, endued with the same quality as dreams themselves are, for as we drew it still gave back and fled from us, that it seemed to be farther off than at the first. But in the end we attained it and entered the haven called Hypnus, and adjoined the gate of ivory, where the temple of Electrion stands, and took land somewhat late in the evening. Entering the gate we saw many dreams of sundry fashions, but I will first tell you somewhat of the city, because no man else has written any description of it, only Homer has touched it a little, but to small purpose. It is round about environed with a wood, the trees whereof are exceeding high, poppies and mandragoras, in which infinite number of owls do nestle, and no other birds to be seen in the island. Near unto it is a river running, called by them Nictiporus, and at the gates are two wells, the one named Negritus, the other Panachia. The walls of the city is high, and of a changeable color, like unto the rainbow, in which are four gates, though Homer spoke but of two, 
for there are two which look toward the fields of sloth, the one made of iron, the other of potter's clay, through which those dreams have passage that represent fearful, bloody, and cruel matters. The other two behold the haven and the sea, of which the one is made of horn, the other of ivory, which we went in at. As we enter the city, on the right hand stands the Temple of the Night, whom, with Electrion, they revere above all the gods, for he has also a temple built for him unto the haven. On the left hand stands the Palace of Sleep, for he is the sovereign king over them all, and has deputized two great princes to govern under him, namely Taraxion, the son of Matogenes, and Plutocles, the son of Phantasion. In the midst of the marketplace is a well, by them called Caryotis, and two temples adjoining, the one of falsehood, the other of truth, which have either of them a private cell peculiar to the priests, and an oracle in which the chief prophet is Antiphon, the interpreter of dreams, who was preferred by sleep to that place of dignity. These dreams are not all alike either in nature or shape, for some of them are long, beautiful, and pleasing. Others again are as short and deformed. Some make show to be of gold, and others to be as base and beggarly. Some of them had wings and were of monstrous forms, others set out in pomp, as it were in a triumph, representing the appearances of gods, kings, and other persons. Many of them were of our acquaintance, for they had been seen of us before, which came unto us and saluted us as their old friends, and took us and lulled us asleep, and feasted us nobly and courteously, promising beside all other entertainment which was sumptuous and costly to make us kings and princes. Some of them brought us home to our own country to show us our friends there and come back with us the next morrow. Thus we spent thirty days and as many nights among them, sleeping and feasting all the while, until a sudden clap of thunder awakened us all, and we, starting up, provided ourselves our victuals and took sea again, and on the third day landed on Ogygia. But upon the way I opened the letter I was to deliver, and read the contents, which were these. Odysseus to Calypso sends greeting. This is to give you to understand that after my departure from you in the vessel I made in haste for myself, I suffered shipwreck, and hardly escaped by the help of Leucothea into the country of the Phaeacians, who sent me to mine own home, where I found many that were wooers to my wife and riotously consumed my means, but I slew them all, and was afterwards killed myself by my son, Telegonus, whom I begat of Circe and am now in the island of the blessed, where I daily repent myself for refusing to live with you, and forsaking the immortality proffered by you. But if I can spy a convenient time, I will give them all the slip and come to you. This was the effect of the letter, with some addition concerning us, that we should have entertainment, and far had I not gone from the sea, but I found such a cave as Homer speaks of, and she herself working busily at her wool. When she had received the letter and brought us in, she began to weep and take on grievously. But afterwards she called us to meet and made us very good cheer, asking us many questions concerning Odysseus and Penelope, whether she was so beautiful and modest as Odysseus had often before bragged of her. And we made her such answer as we thought would give her best content, and departing to our ship, reposed ourselves near unto the shore, and in the morning put to sea, where we were taken with a violent storm which tossed us two days together, and on the third we fell among the Colocynthopiratans. These are a wild kind of men that issue out of the islands adjoining and prey upon passengers, and for their shipping have mighty great gourds, six cubits in length, which they make hollow when they are ripe, and cleanse out all that is within them, and use the rinds for ships, making their masts of reeds and their sails of the gourd leaves. 
These set upon us, two ships furnished and fought with us and wounded many, casting at us instead of stones the seeds of these gourds. The fight was continued with equal fortune until about noon, at which time, behind the Colocinthopiritans, we espied the Carionautans coming on, who, as it appeared, were enemies to the other, for when they saw them approach, they forsook us and turned about to fight with them. And in the mean space we hoist sail and away, leaving them together by the ears, and no doubt but the Carionautans had the better of the day. For they exceeded in number, having five ships well furnished, and their vessels of greater strength, for they are made of nutshells cloven in the midst of, and cleansed, of which every half is fifteen fathom in length. When we were got out of sight, we were careful for the curing of our hurt men, and from that time forwards went no more unarmed, fearing continually to be assaulted on the sudden, and could cause we had, for before sunsetting some twenty men or thereabouts, which also were pirates, made towards us, riding upon monstrous great dolphins which carried them surely, and when their riders gat upon their backs, would neigh like horses. When they were come near us, they divided themselves, some on the one side and some on the other, and flung at us with dried cuttlefishes in the eyes of sea crabs. But when we shot at them again and hurt them, they would not abide it, but fled to the island, the most of them wounded. About midnight, the sea being calm, we fell before we were aware upon a mighty great halcyon's nest, encompassed no less than three score furlongs, in which the halcyon herself sailed, as she was hatching her eggs in quantity almost equaling the nest, for when she took her wings the blast of her feathers had like to have overturned our ship, making a lamentable noise as she flew along." As soon as it was day, we got upon it and found it to be a nest, fashioned like a great lighter, with trees plaited and wound one within another, in which were five hundred eggs, every one bigger than a ton of Chios measure, and so near their time of hatching that the young chickens might be seen and began to cry. Then with an axe we hewed one of the eggs in pieces and cut out a young one that had no feathers and yet which was bigger than twenty of our vultures. When we had gone some two hundred furlongs from this nest, fearful prodigies and strange tokens appeared unto us. For the carved goose that stood for an ornament on the stern of our ship suddenly flushed out with feathers and began to cry. Scintharis, our pilot, that was a bald man, in an instant was covered with hair, and which was more strange than all the rest, the mast of our ship began to bud out with branches and to bear fruit at the top, both of figs and great clusters of grapes, but not yet ripe. Upon the sight of this we had great cause to be troubled in mind, and therefore besought the gods to avert us from the evil that by these tokens was portended. And we had not passed full out five hundred furlongs, but we came in view of a mighty wood of pine trees and cypress, which made us think it had been land, when it was indeed a sea of infinite depth planted with trees that had no roots but floated firm and upright, standing upon the water. When we came to it and found how the case stood with us, we knew not what to do with ourselves. To go forwards through the trees was altogether impossible, they were so thick and grew so close together, and to turn again with safety was as much unlikely. I therefore got me up to the top of the highest tree to discover, if I could, what was beyond, and I found the breadth of the wood to be fifty furlongs or thereabout, and then appeared another ocean to receive us, wherefore we thought it best to essay to lift up our ship upon the leaves of the trees which were thick-grown, and by that means pass over, if it were possible, to the other ocean. And so we did, for fastening a strong cable to our ship, we wound it about the tops of the trees, and with much ado poised it up to the height, and placing it upon the branches, spread our sails, and were carried as it were upon the sea, dragging our ship after us by the help of the wind which set it forwards. At which time a verse of the poet Antimachus 
came to my remembrance, wherein he speaks of sailing over tops of trees. When we had passed over the wood and were come to the sea again, we let down our ship in the same manner as we took it up, then sailed we forwards in a pure and clear stream, until we came to an exceeding great gulf or trench in the sea, made by the division of the waters as many times as upon land, where we see great clefts made in the ground by earthquakes and other means. Whereupon we struck sail, and our ship stayed upon a sudden when it was at the pit's brim ready to tumble in, and we, stooping down to look into it, thought it could be no less than a thousand furlongs deep, most fearful and monstrous to behold, for the water stood as it were, divided into two parts, but looking on our right hand far off, we perceived a bridge of water, which to our seeming did join the two seas together and crossed over from one to the other. Wherefore we laboured with oars to get unto it, and over it we went, and with much ado got to the further side beyond all our expectation. Then a calm sea received us, and in it we found an island, not very great, but inhabited with unsociable people, for in it were dwelling wild men named Bucephalians, that had horns on their heads like the picture of Minotaurus, where we went ashore to look for fresh water and victuals, for ours was all spent. And there we found water enough, but nothing else appeared. Only we heard a great bellowing and roaring away off, which we thought to have been some herd of cattle, and going forwards fell upon those men who, espying us, chased us back again, and took three of our company. The rest fled towards the sea." Then we all armed ourselves, not meaning to leave our friends unrevenged, and set upon the Bucephalians, as they were dividing the flesh of them that were slain, and put them all to fight, and pursued after them, of whom we killed fifty, and two we took alive, and so returned with our prisoners, but food we could find none. Then the company were all earnest with me to kill those whom we had taken, but I did not like so well of that, thinking it better to keep them in bonds until ambassadors should come from the Bucephalians to ransom them that were taken. And indeed they did, and I well understood by the nodding of their heads and their lamentable lowing, like petitioners, what their business was. So we agreed upon a ransom of sundry cheeses and dried fish and onions and four deer with three legs apiece, two behind and one before. Upon these conditions we delivered them whom we had taken and, tarrying there but one day, departed. Then the fishes began to show themselves in the sea, and the birds flew over our heads, and all other tokens of our approach to land appeared unto us. Within a while after we saw men travelling the seas and a new-found manner of navigation, themselves supplying the office both for ship and sailor, and I will tell you how. As they lie upon their backs in the water, and their privy members standing upright, which are of large size and fit for such purpose— they fasten thereto a sail, and holding their cords in their hands, when the wind has taken it, are carried up and down as please themselves. After these followed others riding upon cork, for they yoke two dolphins together and drive them on, performing themselves the place of a coachman, which draw the cork along after them. These never offered us any violence, nor once shunned our sight, but passed along in our company without fear, in a peaceable manner, wondering at the greatness of our ship, and beholding it on every side. At evening we arrived upon a small island, inhabited, as it seemed, only by women, which could speak the Greek language. For they came unto us, gave us their hands, and saluted us, all the tired like wantons, beautiful and young, wearing long mantles down to the foot. The island was called Cabalusa, and the city Hydramardia. So the women received us, and every one of them took aside one of us for herself, and made him her guest. But I, pausing a little upon it, for my heart misgave me, looked narrowly round about and saw the bones of many men, and the skulls lying together in a corner— 
Yet I thought not good to make any stir, or to call my company about me, or to put on arms, but, taking the mallow into my hand, made my earnest prayers thereto that I made escape out of those present perils. Within a while after, when the strange female came to wait upon me, I perceived she had not the legs of a woman but the hoofs of an ass. Whereupon I drew my sword, and taking fast hold of her, bound her, and examined her upon the point— and she, though unwillingly, confessed that they were sea-women called Onoskelians, and they fed upon strangers that travelled that way. For, said she, when we have made them drunk, we go to bed to them, and in their sleep make a hand of them. I, hearing this, left her bound in the place where she was, and went up to the roof of the house, where I made an outcry, and called my company to me, and when they were come together, acquainted them with all that I had heard, and showed them the bones, and brought them into her that was bound, who suddenly was turned into water, and could not be seen. Notwithstanding, I thrust my sword into the water to see what would come of it, and it was changed into blood." Then we made all the haste we could to our ship and got us away, and as soon as it was clear day we had sight of the mainland, which we judged to be the country opposite to our continent. Whereupon we worshipped and made our prayers and took counsel what was now to be done. Some thought it best only to go a land and so return back again. Others thought it better to leave our ship there and march into the midland to try what the inhabitants would do. But whilst we were upon this consultation, a violent storm fell upon us, which drove our ship against the shore and burst it all in pieces. And with much ado, we all swam to land with our arms, every man catching what he could lay his hands upon. These are all the occurrences I can acquaint you with, till the time of our landing, both in the sea and in our course to the islands, and in the air, and after that in the whale, and when we came out again, and betide unto us among the heroes, and among the dreams, and lastly among the Bucephalians, and lastly among the Bucephalians, and the Onoskelians. What passed upon land, the next books shall deliver. That was Lucian's true history, or rather, what survives of it. That was so much fun. What is he doing being so ridiculous? Love that Herodotus is like the only famous person in Tartarus. Like, poor guy. <laughs> Lucian's so obsessed with what a liar Herodotus was. Man, it's fun. Talking to Homer. Oh, guys, that gave me, like, real feels. I mean, you can hear the smile in my voice when I was saying all that stuff. It was so much fun. Holy crap, I love this piece so much, and I'm so thrilled to have been able to read it to you. It fits so perfectly into my life to be able to prepare this in advance. I'm going to be on Samothrace and, and kind of, like, losing it over my happiness. I'm going to be writing my novel. I'm going to share stuff with you. I might try to record something from there. I don't totally know how it's going to work, but thank you all for... Loving these readings, the conversations that are following, just really understanding when I need to take some time off and loving what I give you in the meantime, because, oh my God, in this case, it's fucking worth it. Holy shit, it's so much fun. Like, what is he doing being so, so ridiculous, but intentional and silly and weird and like, oh my God, I love this man's imagination. New favorite. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening, for listening to the podcast, for listening to this, for being around, for caring that I get to go to Greece, for caring that I take some time off. I know so many of you really support that and I love you for it. <sighs> I am Liv and I love this shit. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. 
Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo.